You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. Lesson 8 is on the divine and human dimensions of the mystery of redemption. Reading sections 9 and 10 of Redemptor Hominus. In the last lesson, we began to peer into the gospel and see the mystery of Christ. And in this section, John Paul goes deeper into the mystery of Christ the Redeemer and has us consider the divine and human dimensions of Christ. Christ reforged the link with wisdom and love that human beings have broken and continue to break. Christ was able to reforge that link and became our reconciliation with the Father. John Paul said he was and he alone was able to satisfy the Father's eternal law that fatherhood from the beginning found expression in creating the world, giving man all the riches of creation and making him little less than God, as we read in Psalm 8, line 6. He created humans in the image and after the likeness of God, we learn from Genesis. How can this gift be responded to in a satisfactory manner? How do we respect the fatherhood of God in the love by which he made us? Human beings rejected this love. We rejected this fatherhood. And we continue to do so. We broke the covenant with God that was given again and again offered to man. The redemption of the world is at its deepest root, according to John Paul II, the fullness of justice in a human heart, he says, in order that it may become justice in the hearts of many human beings, as they are called to grace and to the gift of God, called to live in the love of God that fullness of justice in the human heart that we see in Christ is a satisfactory response to the fatherhood of God. And this was shown on the cross, the cross through which Jesus Christ leaves the world through such a gruesome and unjust death, which he accepted willingly out of love, out of love for his father and love for human beings. And through the cross, the Father draws nearer to humanity. And John Paul II says he draws close to each human being, waiting to give the spirit of truth. For through sin, and because of sin, we live a lie. We live according to the spirit of a lie about ourselves and others, and most of all, a lie about God. I might mention that John Paul II, in Crossing the Threshold of Hope, near the end, says, the great lie or deception of our age is the denial that God is a loving Father. We fear him as a tyrant or dictator who would keep us down or interfere with our freedom. But that is not the truth about God. That is not the truth about God we discover in Christ on the cross. Christ on the cross shows us mercy. In the cross, we have the revelation of the Father and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Through 
the death on the cross. Let's read a passage from this section. Quote, the God of creation is revealed as the God of redemption, as the God who is faithful to himself. God is faithful to his love for man and the world. God loved us so much that he would sacrifice his only son. And the son shows us a fitting response, which is to offer himself to the father. So Christ was a man who did not draw back before anything that justice requires. And as St. Paul explains it, for our sake God made him who was his son to be sin who knew no sin. God is revealed as love, and this love is greater than the whole of creation, and here is the line that he quoted at Auschwitz. Above all, love is greater than sin. Love is greater than weakness. It's greater than the futility of creation. It's stronger than death. And then he moves on to the parable of the prodigal son. He says, it's a love always ready to raise up, always ready to go to meet the prodigal son always looking for the revealing of the sons of God who are called to glory. And the revelation of love is described as mercy. And in man's history, this revelation of love and mercy, mercy has taken a form and a name, and it's Jesus Christ. Each of these phrases of John Paul II are rich and must be expounded upon. Love is greater than sin because Christ showed the forgiveness of sin. And the cross shows the great mercy of God for all time. That's how he is the redeemer of man, through the forgiveness of sin. Love is greater than weakness, he said, because through Christ we are strengthened to love and to forgive in our own lives. And this restoration of our humanity can help to restore what our human weakness has shattered. Love is stronger than death through the resurrection of Christ and through the courage to challenge death as a martyr was willing to do or as one ready to sacrifice one's all as Christ did, even to the point of death. And how love is always ready to raise up, always ready to go to meet the prodigal son and looking for the revealing of the sons of God who are called to glory. This parable of the prodigal son is the center point of his next encyclical on the father of mercy. He spends a lot of time elaborating on the meaning of mercy in this parable. Here, I think we see, we are touched by this parable as Christ taught it and lived it. It does sh show us how man is redeemed from one who was worse off than the pigs who were fed by the prodigal son, who squandered his inheritance. The son returns to his father and is taken back 
not as a hired hand, but restored to his sonship, redeemed, given value or worth again. That's what redeemed means. But even more, he's given a party with a celebration of great joy. So the love of God shown through Christ is greater than the futility of creation because through love, every aspect of human life, no matter how small or insignificant, no matter how broken or even in failure, can be transformed through this love to be a glorious witness or sign of what is great in man. Jesus Christ lived from this mysterious depth of love in relation to his Father, Abba, that's what attracts us to him, to understand and live that mystery. He reconciled his brothers and sisters with the Father after human beings had abandoned and spurned him. He forgave those who crucified him from the cross. In the words and life of Jesus, we see the truth of sonship set against the lies told about the Father as a tyrant or as a cruel, uncaring power in the universe. So peering into the gospel of Christ, we see the liberating truth that God is love. That is the message he expounds in section 9. The passion and death and resurrection of Christ tells it all, this triumph of love, and it cannot fail to stir a hope beyond hope if we but look if we but peer into that book, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is what John Paul II bids us to do and what to do constantly. He did say, as he released this document, that he, he had calls to the intellect and calls to the will, calls to the heart, or invitations, if you will, invitations to the intellect invitations to the will, invitations to the heart that he wanted to put forward in this document. And I think this is where you especially will see that. It's in the parable of the prodigal son and this great exaltation, really, of the love revealed by Jesus Christ and the hope that is brought in those phrases that love is greater than sin, love is greater than death that were frequently used throughout his pontificate. So now we see this love and enthusiasm for Jesus shared by John Paul II. It reverberates throughout one's whole being when one learns of the unbounded love of the Father, always ready to raise up and forgive, always ready to go to meet the prodigal son, how many others have expressed this through other forms and media as they have peered into the gospel, the mystery of Christ? Consider Rembrandt or Tolstoy, Bach, Gorecki, Herbert, Shakespeare, Rouault, Dante. All of them are enthralled with the beauty of man redeemed and the beauty of the Redeemer. The gospel inspires this great song. It inspires the brilliant light and colors of the painters. 
because these stories ring so true, particularly the parables. It is a way and a life that invites us to follow. And that's why if you peer in, you can behold the truth of that primary claim that Christ reveals man to man himself and makes his supreme calling clear. Now, if we move into section 10, John Paul II explains how this message and mystery appeal to the human heart in light of what it is to be human. Here he talks about the human dimension of the redemption. If the previous section was on the divine mystery of redemption. So he opens this one with a great statement, quote, man cannot live without love, end of quote. We know this is true. We know why human beings can become so desperate or so depressed. It's because man cannot live without love. John Paul II elaborates on this by saying, he remains a being that is incomprehensible for himself. His life is senseless if love is not revealed to him, if he does not encounter love, if he does not experience it and make it his own, if he does not participate intimately in it. End of quote. That is John Paul II speaking from his own human experience his own observation and his own friendship with other people, from his own art and philosophy. He wrote a play called The Jeweler's Shop. It's, it's about love. He says the proper weight of man is love. The central motif of the play is to see how these three couples, in their relationship with each other, pursue love, at times fail or see the promise and pursue it, but this is a human good that he considers. John Paul, from the time he was a young priest, had a profound respect for human love. He said in Crossing the Threshold of Hope that as a young priest, he said, quote, I learned to love human love. If one loves human love, there naturally arises the need to commit oneself completely to the service of fair love, because love is fair, it is beautiful. He said, after all, young people are always searching for the beauty in love, end of quote. In his biography, George Weigel reports that John Paul II wrote The Jeweler's Shop from his memory of the experience of his friends who would talk about their relationships and their attempts to forge relationships, sometimes unsuccessfully, sometimes done well. In the discovery of love through the human dimension to the redemption, John Paul says this, quote, man finds again the greatness, dignity, and value that belong to humanity. End of quote. He is saying this to wake us up because we can be lulled into a sleep, a quiet despair, even a sloth or refusal to seek the noble good of which we are capable. Love is an arduous path. 
Do we wish to understand ourselves thoroughly and live accordingly? Then he says we should study the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. And we might add the saints like St. Maximilian Kolbe. Otherwise, John Paul warns us, we will be using immediate, partial, superficial, and illusory standards and measures of our being. The media, many educational institutions, and popular culture propose to us this reduced measure of man, a superficial or illusory standard. We easily accept this lack of challenge, looking to the general norms of behavior, or therapeutic approaches which lower or eliminate the standards for personal excellence and virtue. But our heart can hear that call, our mind can understand the demands of natural law and love. But we need to rediscover the meaning of life. And so the call to faith is a call to intellect and will. The response of faith does not turn off the mind or become a crutch or an easy way to live, but quite the contrary. John Paul issues a summons to awaken the mind, to think critically, to summon the deepest power of the will and its creativity, to live from freedom, and to seek the most human aspirations. And as he said then, draw near to Christ with your unrest, your uncertainty, and even with your weakness and sinfulness, draw near to Christ. That is the message of Redemptor Hominus. This dynamic of faith is not a passive acceptance of a proposition or a blinding ideology. It's a discovery of a reality of God and oneself, a dynamic process of self-discovery. That's why, again, he says, enter into him with all of his own self, appropriate and assimilate the whole reality of the Incarnation and Redemption. That is what he challenges Christians to do, to deepen that awareness of faith. In his book on, on scholasticism, Joseph Pieper said, coordinating faith and reason is not primarily coordinating sentences or bodies of knowledge, but bringing together the full dimension of reality that we are called to live in, natural and supernatural. That is what we are afforded through faith in Christ. This should lead to a deep wonder at ourselves. The process of faith, he says, leads to adoration of God, but also a deep wonder at himself. Wonder, the beginning of philosophy can emerge out of the gospel through that wonder of God and the self in relation to God. The gospel leads to a deep amazement at the worth and dignity of man, he says. And that amazement about the mystery of the person is a conviction and certitude about the person's high calling and the range of his capacity to know and to love. And this amazement 
should determine the church's mission in the modern world. That is the new, fresh, and vigorous message of John Paul II in 1978, which he lived and preached for the many years that he was the Supreme Pontiff. And I think that's why he had such a powerful influence and effect on people's lives, because he lived from that center of his faith in Christ, which led to an amazement at the dignity of the person, a great sense of gratitude for the divine gifts. So out of that lived experience, yes, we must develop an integral humanism, as John Paul, I'm sorry, as Jacques Maritain called it. Paul VI endorsed the notion of an integral humanism as a standard needed for gauging development of peoples. So here in section 10, John Paul II speaks about an authentic humanism, an integral humanism, because it combines faith and reason. It's a humanism that looks at the person in his temporal and eternal dimensions. It has the whole truth about man, as John Paul II will later call it. The historic record of Christian humanism and Catholic culture shows the profundity and the fructification of this image of the redeemer of man and man redeemed. The amazement at the human person engendered by the gospel and by the life and teaching of Christ and this authentic humanism, according to John Paul II, will fix the place of Jesus Christ in the history of man and mankind. And looking back to that one line that he quoted in more detail from Psalm 8, Let's think about that amazement. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth, thou whose glory above the heavens is chanted by the mouth of babes and infants. Thou hast founded a bulwark because of thy foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast established, what is man? that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man, that thou dost care for him. Yet thou hast made him little less than God, and dost crown him with glory and honor. Thou hast given him dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all the sheep and oxen and beast of the field, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. How majestic is thy name. So here, that psalm, we see in creation itself the dignity of the human person and the wonder the inspired author expresses on God's gift to mankind. So all the more do we find, through the Redeemer of man, a reason to be amazed at the dignity and depths of the human person. This is expressed perhaps best of all by St. Augustine in his self-reflective faith where he discovers God in memory. And so he ex explains, the power of memory is prodigious, my God. It is vast. 
a sanctuary, who can plumb its depths? Yet it is a faculty of my soul, and I cannot understand all that I am. This means the mind is too narrow. Where is that part that it cannot contain? I am lost in this wonder when I consider this problem. It bewilders me or amazes me. Men go out and gaze at astonishment at high mountains, the huge waves of the sea, the broad reaches of rivers, the ocean that encircles the world or the stars, but they pay no attention to themselves and do not marvel. John Paul II says his mission as Pope and that of the church is to rouse amazement at man, to stimulate new efforts at Christian humanism and Christian culture. It's the contemplation of Christ as the Redeemer of man, which is both the discovery of God and man. As he said to young people in New Orleans, the more you unravel the mystery of the human person, the more open one becomes to the mystery of transcendence. And the more deeply one penetrates the divine mystery, the more one discovers the true greatness and dignity of human beings. This double discovery, the inner penetration of the mystery of man and the mystery of God, are embodied in the incarnation of Christ, who was true God and true man, and in the redemption of Christ, who through his suffering opened up the way to the Father. So here's how he will end this unceasingly contemplating the whole of Christ's mystery. The church knows with all the certainty of faith that the redemption took place. Through the cross, man's dignity has been restored and given back meaning to his life in the world, a meaning that was lost to a considerable extent because of sin. And for that reason, the redemption was accomplished in the Paschal mystery leading through the cross and death to the resurrection. And therefore, the Pope concludes the church's fundamental function in every age, and particularly in ours, is to direct man's gaze to point the awareness and experience of the whole of humanity towards the mystery of God, to help all men be familiar with the profundity of the redemption taking place in Christ Jesus. And at the same time, man's deepest sphere is involved, which is the sphere of human hearts, consciences, and events. We have begun our initial meditations on Redemptor Hominus, about Christ revealing man to man himself and about the crisis of our time and the degradation of the image of man. I would like to skip ahead to a later encyclical just to take a passage out of his writing on the Holy Spirit, which I think unfolds what is going on here in Redemptor Hominus. He says, Christian life transforms human existence so that rationality and freedom open out to a higher goal. Thomas Aquinas said man was made to see God, and to this end God made the creature rational so he could participate in his likeness, which consists in the vision of God. Pope John Paul II emphasizes the role of the Holy Spirit in 
this reception of the image and likeness to God. So he says this from his later encyclical. Man in his own humanity receives as a gift a special image and likeness to God. This means not only rationality and freedom as constitutive properties of human nature, but also from the very beginning, the capacity of having a personal relationship with God as I and you, and therefore the capacity of having a covenant which will take place in God's salvific communication with man. Against the background of the image and likeness of God, the gift of the Spirit ultimately means a call to friendship in which the transcendent depths of God become in some way open to participation on the part of man. That's why the Second Vatican Council teaches that the invisible God out of the abundance of his love speaks to men as friends and lives among them so that he may invite and take them into fellowship with himself. Dominum et vivificantum number 34. The Redeemer establishes friendship with God. Christ lived among us. The apostles were witnesses to his life. They became his friends. After his departure from this earth, he promised the gift of the Spirit so we could continue to live with him. Cardinal Newman would explain it this way. The Spirit comes as Christ came, a real and personal visitation both in the church and in the souls of individual Christians. By the Holy Spirit we are regenerated and we can receive back a portion of that freedom in willing and doing, of that uprightness and innocence in which Adam was created. That is the reforging of the link between the wisdom and love of God which Adam turned from and broke. It's restored through Christ and through Christ the work of the Holy Spirit. It is plain that such an inhabitation of the Spirit brings the Christian into a state new and marvelous far above the possession of mere gifts and exalts him inconceivably in the scale of beings and gives him a place and office which he had not had before. In St. Peter's forcible language, he becomes a partaker of the divine nature and has power or authority to become a son of God. I think that is, is a way of magnifying or elaborating on what John Paul is saying in these sections on the Redeemer and the divine and the human dimensions of redemption, leading to the amazement at the dignity of the human person. Because as the parable of the prodigal son explains, not only is there a restoration to where one was originally, but it goes beyond to the celebration, giving more than even deserved. And so redemption, the, the Redeemer of man restores us to our natural capacities and virtues, but gives us much more, which is later revealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. But I think the idea that Newman has that our being is exalted inconceivably in the scale of beings 
helps us understand why Pope John Paul II started his pontificate with Redemptor Hominus. It is part of his peering into the gospel and seeing the beauty of redemption, the beauty of human dignity, and our newfound relationship with God. It's the gift of the Spirit that comes to us at baptism. We do not begin to live up to our newfound place and office immediately. That's why we need the church. We need the witness of the saints. They make manifest in every age the personal visitation of the Spirit and the effects of this visitation, which is to make us more Christ-like. The dramatic signs of their sanctity should not mislead us into thinking. They did not cooperate with God through the normal means offered by the church for sanctification. They became holy through the same sacraments given to us. But the drama of the lives of many of the saints can often startle us into greater devotion. We see in their life how Christ has transfigured their life and how they will live lives of such great service that they are like another Christ to those whom they serve. So all of this is through the cross of Jesus Christ. All of this is through the divine and human nature of Jesus who was sent to redeem us because we had turned from God. And the effects of that sin, the effects we see in the failure to live by the wisdom of God, the failure to live in the love of God, and the great joy that John Paul II announces the good news here, you can see, derives from his personal experience in prayer and his work with the church in Poland, with his work with the universal church at Vatican II. And I think he brings to the pontificate this same joy of the knowledge of Christ and the love of God. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers. Please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate to help us keep this content free.